Welcome to another edition of Baffling Combustions with Andrew McCarran, Sam Truitt, and Sparrow as they plumb the mundane and cosmic strange. Ah, look, here it is. Okay. Well, a podcast is a portmanteau word. means that it's made up of two other words, the words being iPod and broadcast. So a portmanteau, a real portmanteau is a kind of suitcase that opens into two equal parts. And uh, a portmanteau word is a word uh, that combines two other words into to make um, a third word, but I can't think of other examples except it's like a it's like a kenning, also, isn't it? What do you mean? Like for example, the old Anglo-Saxon word uh, Wales Road <laughs> is a kind of portmanteau. Oh, well, a portmanteau is a word like raincoat, I think, that combines like rain and coat, something right. like that. Combines yeah. two different words. So there's the word. Everything, uh, yeah. everything is made out of combining two things. Well, I mean, not the word dig, you know, not the word shoot. Right. Know. I the mean, there are some word. words. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So um, and podcast comes from the word iPod. And it's kind of interesting that iPods are essentially dead. Pretty much nobody uses iPods anymore, but they exist still in this very contemporary phenomenon, which is podcasts. And an iPod is itself arguably a portmanteau word with the word I, that's I for I, and pod comes from the the movie 2001, uh, A Space Odyssey. So you're saying the I is for ego is for i is i'm i i mean i'm not sure first person but i believe yeah i believe that's the i and ipod comes from like i am a person i exist therefore i want to hear music in my head Uh, that 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 would make sense because i know steve jobs in some of the um rather sophomoric philosophy that he espoused at times um Mm -hmm. did make the claim that he wanted to develop computer technologies that would augment subjectivity. Huh. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, which maybe well, uh, podcasts do. I don't know. Which I totally resonate with. Um, you know, the idea of a pod necessarily mm. is this enclosure, I guess, is a seed, right? But then mm. also the, the way in which it resonates with cell. You know, like so, cell phones. Oh, yeah, as a form I see. Of personal enclosure and of increasing the subjectivity. Was that the rap, Andrew? Yeah, that's right. Of augmenting, of extending, extrapolating one's subjectivity. This is a digital. quote. Yeah. Um, it's a paraphr- It's a paraphrase from um, a lecture I think that he may have given at Reed College or Stanford University. Um, around the time he uh, returned to Apple. Okay, so I'm still giving the uh, introduction here. So where does the pod come 
from an iPod. It supposedly comes from the space shuttle in 2001, A Space Odyssey. Right. And the quote, open the pod bay doors, how? So um, I looked up. So a podcast, Lexico says a podcast is a digital audio file made available on the Internet for downloading to a computer or mobile device, typically available as a series, new installments of which can be received by subscribers automatically. And then the top three podcasts, according to iTunes, which there's a rumor that these uh, numbers are based on new subscribers, not on total number of downloads. But anyway, what they call their top three podcasts at the moment are Down the Hill, colon, The Delphi Murders by Warner Media, Daily, it's called Daily, by The New York Times, and number three, The Joe Rogan Experience. So uh, the number two podcast in the world, if this is valid, put out by The New York Times, that sort of shocked me. You know, you think of podcasts as kind of young and hip, at least I yes. do. Anyway, that's kind the of end a, of my... Kind of yeah. lowbrow. I think the New York Times thing is a news summary, isn't it? I don't know what or is it is. I presume yeah, I, it's... I would think it's some new, kind of like... Summary analysis. Or maybe like interviews. I would picture it being, what do you call that? Uh, feature stories, right? Where you... We interview people, interesting people, unusual. I mean, isn't that why you listen to a podcast, not just for a news report, but for some kind of in-depth, I don't know, personal experience, I guess? Definitely, yeah. 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 Right between the ears. (laughs) I mean, I could go into my, you know, uh, speech about how much I hate podcasts. (laughs) You oh, know, yeah. which was, well, we should explore that for sure. Yeah, because yeah. that's kind of the reason we're discussing podcasts is that I was, I think, maybe emailing Sam and saying, I yeah. really hate podcasts. I and remember saying, yeah. And then, oh, yeah, because you got the email, too, I guess, Andrew. Yeah. And then Sam said, yeah, let's do a podcast about podcasts. Yeah, I think it's I think that the I didn't know the origination of pod was from 2001. A space, a space odyssey. I know. Yeah. I wanted to look. That sort up. of resonates for me for sure. And the I I thought might have been like iPod from Internet, not necessarily the oh. first person pronoun. Mm-hmm. I thought, and of but, course, you know, and it's a small I. You know, it's not a capital I, which typically the I as the pronoun is always capitalized. You know, a certain kind of person, like an arty person or a Teenage girl might uh, use the small i for the personal pronoun, but it's unusual. Now the iPod, um, the iPod um, was advanced, uh, marketed through an advertising scheme that Hmm. um, a lot of people um, write about. Talking about the iPod. Yeah. Which is a dead, which is a dead, you know, it's a a vestigial limb of our culture. Mm. What were its years, would you say? Would you guess maybe like 2000 and and 
2002 or 2001 until about 2006 or 7. Oh, yeah. I got to tell you that I did look up on, what is it called? Some internet Google Ngram viewer. And it shows the use of the word podcast. So it begins around 2001, possibly 2002. It's a little hard to read this graph. And Uh it's just like a straight spike straight up. Oh, you mean number of podcasts? No, number of times the word podcast was used. You know, it was like never used at all in the history of the world up until 2001 or possibly 2002. And then the the use of it dramatically rises. So I would imagine that was the golden age of the of the iPod, I suppose. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, that's a very interesting theory. And I think you may be um, onto something. Mm. Yeah, we should run an algorithm on that. (laughs) So, 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 Sam, so, you have questions. You have some questions. Oh, I have, I have like lots of really good questions. Let's, let's okay. One. Let's, let's fire away, my friend. All right. So here's one question is what about the nature of the podcast as an experience? What about its relation, its relative position to isolation or opening uh-huh. podcast as a medium? Yeah. Namely, there's an isolative thing because you're wearing headphones, or you're wearing um, earbuds, and you're blocking off a certain amount of ambient sound, and there's that isolation. But then there's mm-hmm. also this opening where you're listening to something perhaps of value, you know, to you in information or an experience, um, you know, in realigning the portmanteaus of our mind. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, a couple uh, binge watches uh, Netflix together. It's kind of a two-person form, it seems to me. Of course, there are people that watch alone Netflix, but I know I feel as the husband that I am required to do a certain amount of uh, Netflix watching and also Amazon Prime watching with my wife. That's the sign of a happy relationship now. But I don't know if there are any happy couples that listen to podcasts together. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it, I think, I guess if you play them on speakers, but the nature of the podcast is is different, right? Well, you could both coordinate it. You could both plug in at the same moment with your separate headphones and listen to the same uh, murder uh, investigation, I suppose. <laughs> and you know then really, talk about it, yeah. You yeah. know what's really interesting about what you're saying is that if you compare then the um, podcast with um, the podcast conversation with, say, conversations that were common during the age of the radio, mm. that both um, involve um, an act of intent listening concentration but during the age of radio um i understand that um there was more of a collective hearth culture of Mm. family and friends gathering around the radio um Mm. any thoughts about that i mean it's an interesting Mm. difference historically Mm. culturally yeah Yeah, it had the feeling a little bit of a campfire right yeah i know I uh, i think a fire in the wilderness would have operated relative to a group of people you would have been close to the fire right 
That's right. But well, that, people, it was before the height of this consumer culture we're in now. I mean, people couldn't afford more than one radio for a family. Well, they were big. Yeah, you know, that's the initial you, radios. You're too young for the age of the radio, Sparrow. But do you have a memory of a time when it was it was, um, I guess, more central to? Well, I mean, I, I'm like uh, the age, I'm 66, you know, I'm the age of a high age of kind of hippie radio, yeah. where uh, radio was kind of reinvented in maybe by Pacifica, by WBAI around 1963 or something. And eventually there were these, uh, what were they called? <laughs> Hip radio stations all over the United States, maybe all over the world. And but I don't remember listening to them in groups. I don't remember listening to WNEW, which was like the hippie radio station that would play like the new Jimi Hendrix song with other people. I remember, I have a vague memory. There were maybe times where you would have a party and turn on the radio and just dance to the radio music, but I'm not positive I really ever did that. <laughs> What, what, so the podcast has yeah. a little bit of the flavor of radio to it, but at the same time has a narrower focus, you know, and it, and it is um, this is a more continuous form, right? What do you and mean? And it's also that is, you know, we're talking about one thing. We have sort of a, a subject that we're talking yes, about. Yes. And so it's, style, yeah, it? and we're trying to add information and insight and examining, you know, aspects of whatever it is that we're trying to talk about which might not even be what we're talking about which I, I think is the more interesting aspect of the podcast i mean i think there were there were radio shows when i moved back to new york city in 1978 i had this weird radio experience i mean my most uh, what's the word extreme radio uh, knowledge uh, you know uh, involvement came from I, one day I was listening to this radio show. It was Sunday night. I fairly recently moved up from Florida. I was very deeply spiritual. And this spiritual show came on the radio and it was like, now we're going to lead you in this affirmation. Now I want you to picture white light surrounding you. It was completely astonishing to me that they would have this on the radio. And it was every week. And they asked for volunteers who wanted to help with the show. It was on some real normal radio station, but they had to have kind of like religious programming on Sunday. It was, I think, a law back then. So right. I volunteered and I started working for this radio show. So it was like a podcast because it had a theme. But the crazy thing that happened is like right after I joined it, the guy who ran it became a militant atheist. <laughs> he completely had some kind of like anti-realization. He sort of turned against all this like spiritual yeah. rigmarole that was what had attracted me. But because I'm a sort of loyal kind of person, I was like, fine, I'll still stay with the show. I don't really care whether it's like totally in favor of atheism or totally in favor of God. I kind of like, you know, screening callers and being in this radio, I think it was maybe WKTU. I think it might've been the one that Howard Stern worked at. Ooh. And it was, you know, I went down to like 40th street and Broadway. I think they paid for my taxi to come home at one in the morning. 
it was kind of thrilling. And then I got to like talk to major atheists, Madeline Murray O'Hare. I think think atheism is a profound path. (laughs) Namely, if you really take close to your heart the imminent dissolution of all that is, yeah, you know, of all that is, all that I perceive is my body, and that this will all pass, then that could really be an opportunity to dig life moment to moment, like it's all going to be gone. You know, I think that's the Epicurean way, right? And also, you don't have to believe in all this nonsense. You don't have to, you know... Uh, Identify. Practice these Jesus. beliefs that are <laughs> that are abstract. They're impossible. Who knows whether any of these things are true or not? You're just free of all that uh, the burdens that religion has uh, piled on people all these millennia. <laughs> That's why I like so, I like Paul Tillich, the the theologian who 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 wrote um, that uh, atheism was um, an important part of his larger theology. Huh? Yeah. What does that mean? I just think that he, uh, similar to what Sam was saying, that he, um, you know, as a, um, as a as a as a as a liberal Protestant theologian, mid twentieth century, trying to engage with modernity and nineteen mm-hmm. fifties uh, philosophy, that he was just he, you know, he was um, um, open to doubt and, and atheism and negative spaces in his theological mm-hmm. world that it had yeah, a pronounced yeah. existential dimension to it. Yeah. I have this philosophy. I invented this philosophy called um, ambitheism, which says ambitheism, like ambidextrous and theism, you know, meaning God, study of God or belief in God. Ambitheism is the idea that um, God both exists and doesn't exist simultaneously. uh, God is and isn't at all times. And I have this one disciple, this like, I don't maybe I shouldn't say his name because he's like very serious about ambitheism and it's helping him and his. I mean, it was really like a paragraph I wrote once that's for some reason this guy in Woodstock read and I forgot that I'd written it. And you're the the Abraham of of your own faith of ambitheism. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) it's also it's also an oddly portmanteau. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we're so we're going to come down on this sort of sense of isolation and opening. Maybe it doesn't really matter. So maybe we could move on to another question. Yeah. Now, what about the aspect of listening? That mm. is, podcast has something to do with listening. Mm. What are your thoughts about the podcast in relation to the? the mode of transmission. That's very interesting. That's an interesting question. Yeah, I mean, you really... From one standpoint, just there is an isolative thing just because you're taking out ambient sound, Mm. you know, which is this sort of significant compositional attribute of any Mm. apprendable, you know, graspable moment. Mm. You know, I mean, I will, I will say that I, I really like how it foregrounds the sonic qualities and meanings of the human voice and human composition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think if you um, consider forms of entertainment and um, edification and 
previous decades that maybe the voice wasn't so foregrounded and mm. it's, it's a lovely dimension of the podcast you know the, the listening to the podcast just the engagement with the undulations of speech mm-hmm. shared in relation i mean and i think, I think of, it's and i think it's music yeah sure yeah yeah, yeah definitely. that's that's one of the no, the the note i just made is I think what the podcast phenomenon is about is the failure of indie rock. I think indie rock has kind of collapsed and all the millennials on the subway that used to listen to it and they'd be like a little bit sort of tapping their feet or maybe swaying slightly. You know, it's not the world's most rhythmic music, but still Uh it's music. And I think somehow it just, it stopped producing interesting new sounds and people turn to words kind of in a similar way that I go to stand-up comedy shows when I'm in the city and it feels like stand-up comedy is the new rock and roll to me. And, and, and stand-up comedy is very connected to podcasts come to think of it. And to poetry. Yeah. Yeah, it, you um, could say also this is the failure of poetry. That's another possibility. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, there's uh, podcasts are also free. Yeah. Like it used to be you had to pay for, you know, you have to pay for music now. They kind of rig, you know, they kind of got mm. the, you have to pay for some subscription. Or I think you can use Spotify, for example. Yeah. And you get like a rotisserie of uh, songs within a certain dimension. But um Hmm. Yeah, podcasts are free, and there's a low barrier to entry, you know? They're easy to put up. Oh, I see, to do them, yeah. They're to do them, to make them, and to listen to them. You know, it's a free um, hmm. field. Hmm. And maybe it doesn't steal your information like Facebook. You know, it might be an area where you're... You Copyrighted. Know, this, yeah, this, like, uh, surveillance capitalism idea, you know has me kind of obsessed with this idea that people are, you know, studying me while I'm liking things on Twitter. It's already over, Sparrow. I know, but I mean... They've already got you figured out, brother, don't... I know, I'm not worried about it exactly, but I'm just thinking about it, and I'm just thinking podcasts might be a kind of surveillance-free zone, at least at this point. I believe that's true. It's a very important point. Yeah. I think that there's a freedom in this medium and a possibility and a potentiality. It's a space that's open to complexity. And complexity Hmm. is hard to interpret or reduce to statistics. Huh. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. You mean like the things people say on a podcast can be because you have time to re to be to really investigate something kind of deeply. That's what you mean? Yeah, I just um, you know you you couldn't determine. Um, it's hard to determine categorical um, quantities for fluid when it comes to an interpretation of fluid conversations, where mm. meaning develops and then is retracted and then um, transmutes mm. into new forms. It's semantically um, irreducible to any sort of um, mathematical. Mm significance hmm. yes yeah, as just, opposed uh, to what just human beings talking if, to each other if you, and, like if if there's like cambridge analytica counting numbers of likes i see what you mean right right you know or um, um people interested in clicking on particular websites that yeah. that could be 
quantified and then um, manipulated. Yeah, this is information and we're taking up potentially an hour of somebody's time that is off the clock. Mm, yeah, you know, they're not tapping and swiping and That's so right. scrolling, you know. Right. So I think that the podcast This is one thing I, I was thinking about. I think the podcast, you know, quote unquote, may be better than documentaries that, you know, you watch where there's mm. a screen thing happening or movies yeah. that podcasts yeah. might be a better use yeah. of that hour of somebody's time. Right, right. I think maybe it hasn't been as completely, uh, what's the word, formalized, formulized, uh, you know, turned into a formula like movies, for example, which seem like hopelessly uh, structured, overstructured. Mechanical, yeah. Repetitive. Yeah, like you, yeah. you see a movie and you just know, my dad's been watching these horror movies lately. He was watching The Thing, John Carpenter's movie, The Thing, last night. And, you know, they're kind of exciting, but, you know, you kind of know by the end, probably they're going to kill the monster. You know, usually the monster doesn't take over. Like, it's it's all, whereas, like, really in a podcast, the monster can take over. (laughs) You know, in a metaphorical sense. Well, yeah, maybe like the monster, you know, the three of us are shooting around ideas about Thoreau and sometimes the monster wins sometimes we win I think I I like the fact that we've covered through podcasts in this one in particular obviously we've covered a lot of ground some of which we didn't intend to cover most of which I mean it's one of the really interesting things about podcasts is the experimental quality the the fact that you um, end up in places you didn't expect and you know, there's a laboratory quality to it, um, which um, I find very gratifying. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, do. from the making aspect, you know, that is definitely um, strong with me. And I think also, actually, um, it's something you said, Sparrow, the difference between flow and information. Mm. Um, Can you explain and, that? Yeah, well, I'm into, I'm into the, you know, just, and maybe Sparrow has something to say. It seems to me that, and I said something, you know, where I said sometimes I'm seeking to transmit information and mm. it can interfere with the flow. I see but right I you the, were saying. But I think the real information is the flow mm. and that it, it does have to do with what, you know, you're saying, Andrew. The flow will take you that it is an, an occasion for getting into communion. Mm. I think that's what I want to say is that there's communication, but we sometimes confuse that with having something to say, that you're trying to get something. Mm. But from a nihilistic point of vantage, <laughs> there isn't you know, anything to get. Mm. And that it's the communion. It's the sense of, I think, a new approach into what's not there, which is the stillness. Yeah, I was talking to this tree tonight as I, I was coming here from my little adventures in Manhattan. And the tree seemed to be saying to me something like, feel the absolute greatest love. And that is what you should try to transmit in your podcast. (laughs) And I thought, hmm, it's not what you would think a podcast was for, but maybe it's reasonable. (laughs) 
That's why you need to talk to trees because they'll tell you things that you wouldn't think of, wouldn't think were possible on your own. I I feel that very much. I feel that what we would seek to render or to mm. make is a sonic field redolent with love. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I think maybe maybe that is why people listen to uh, podcasts. They're searching for love. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe that's the real answer, not uh, whatever the apparent, you know, why would they listen to, what is it called, the something or other Amityville murders? Yeah, I thought that was all very lowbrow, by the it's way. A, the one it's thing. A real, it's a real return, you know, on the topic of love, it's a real return to the hearth, to the, the, oh. the, the original fire. Love, love as connection and as company and as shared music and as warmth. Right, and, and also connected to, you know, the hearth and Thoreau's walking. And also, the podcast is a walking medium. People right, listen to that's podcasts when they're walking. The question, another question I have is, what is the perfect podcast? You know, and from that position that perhaps the perfect podcast is one in which there's the communion of love, hmm. how would one achieve that? I have no idea. I mean, I'm, I know that my nieces all listen to podcasts that are all about grisly murders, <laughs> unsolved murders. That seems to be the the theme, the perfect podcast for most people is something about some unresolved horror that they're, yeah. they're trying to Puzzle theorize out. about. Yeah, yeah, kind of work, so, become a detective of yeah. William Burroughs, he famously uh, said that he failed because he because I couldn't write a sentence that if you read it would kill you. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I love Burroughs. I'm such a did you ever meet Sparrow? Did you ever meet Burroughs? Did you ever? See I did him? meet him. Yeah, yeah. I never told you how I met Burroughs. No, can you just tell the quick story? I, I would, I would, you know. I yeah, could. I mean, I have like basically one Burroughs story. I saw this old friend of mine, uh, like this woman. I sort of went on two or three dates with yeah. in 1981. We were both uh, getting a, a master's in creative writing simultaneously um, at City College in New York, and I hadn't seen her for. 40 years. And recently she said to me, remember we went to William Burroughs' birthday party together at the Limelight? The Limelight was this nightclub. Yeah, I remember. That, yeah. It was a church made into a nightclub. And uh, and we never saw William Burroughs. I have a vague memory of seeing Ginsburg dancing with somebody at that event, but maybe I invented that memory. Anyway, that's one time I didn't see William Burroughs, but one time I was studying at the Naropa Institute in 1976, the third year of Naropa, which the Buddhist university still exists, at the uh, Jack Kerouac School of Disembodied Poetics. And I would, took the visiting poetics class, so they had two weeks with um, Burroughs, two weeks with Philip Whalen, two weeks with Miguel Algarin, I think the guy who nice. started the Neorican Cafe. And so I studied with Burroughs and I learned uh, cut-ups. He taught us how to like cut up uh, like the newspaper 
and you juxtapose different lines of type, you know, you can do it in all different ways. I think I did mine with a tape recorder. Somehow I had a tape recorder. And if you tape uh, sentences, read sentences from different books, and then sort of, I don't know, what is the word, <laughs> sort of mash them together, you know, you can create a, a work that you're not intending. You don't, you make these connections that you're not intending to make. And well, uh, also it, it ends up like a, like a ransom note. And, <laughs> and the, the podcast is a cut up. Huh, how do you mean? It is, it is to a certain extent, it, it I guess. Just, you know, three different texts, three different persons. Uh-huh. Well, our, our podcast, certainly. Yeah. Definitely, you know, sometimes the meanings are um, incongruent, Um, you know, there's um, tension, sometimes it flows, there's that experimental quality, three epicenters, you know, um, but there's multiplicity. Yeah, it's interesting. So I'll just finish my story. Yeah, So then, you know, there was something that I wrote, it was something like, I don't know exactly how this, I remember writing something, it was about an Indian chief carrying a computer, something like that. And maybe like in it. response to that, you know, which at that time in 1976 was a highly speculative idea. You know, there's nothing like that in the world. And uh, Burroughs said, either about that or about something else, he said, when you cut apart the present, the future leaks out. And then the other story that I have about Burroughs is I went to see him. You know, I thought I was like 23 or something. And I thought... 22, I'm going to go to William Brewer, show him my poems, see what he thinks. So somebody told me this is his apartment. He's staying in the same sort of apartment complex I was in. I went, I went to his room. I think the door was open. He was sitting there looking like William Burroughs, like kind of thoroughly disgusted with the world in a suit. And I showed him my poems. He read them. He looked through them. And my poems at that time, I was a real hippie. And my poems were like, I love the daffodils. I love every sardine. I love every asparagus, you know? Yeah. And so I showed these to uh, William Burroughs, and he, like, reads through a page or two of them, and then he looks up at me, and he dryly says, well, you seem to have something to say. <laughs> that was it. That's my whole William Burroughs story. <laughs> I mean, it was so absurd, you know what I mean? He's like the antithesis of this, like, whatever spiritual... And these poems were terrible, now I realize in retrospect, you know. But also just the my intention behind these poems was just the exact opposite. Here's a guy who's like, what he likes to do is write about people, um, you know, uh, hanging themselves and ejaculating. And, you know, here this hippie comes up to him with this, like, happy little daffodil poems and you know he's just got to deal with it what could he do you know he's getting paid <laughs> to be at naropa he's got to handle people like that and he's seen worse you know <laughs> what a classy thing to say man <laughs> i think for a moment my like whole life passed before my eyes for a moment i realized what an idiot i was but then it oh. the moment passed you know <laughs> so what's the perfect podcast we didn't really get there did we we could all we could be more banal and talk about our self analysis of our podcast. Yeah, I know that's what would be our perfect podcast. Do you mean? Or you know, <laughs> how could we? You know, is there anything that you want to change? 
Is there any mutation that the podcast could experience toward a higher level of communion of love, for example? <laughs> I sort of I, I like the flow and information, but the but the information and the flow have to connect through communion. I mean, I, maybe because my daughter is eternally studying philosophy, I, my sort of wish for our podcast is that it becomes more serious philosophically, you know, that it, because it seems like the intention of the podcast, even if it's not exactly uh, explicit, is to confront philosophical questions, perhaps in a somewhat amateur way. But I would like for us to become serious about, about ideas, to really know more about how to talk about ideas. I mean, that's my whatever personal desire. And you maybe mean that's to stay, what, you mean to be more focused? Uh, just to be smarter <laughs> and, to, and to be more studied in what is philosophy. I feel like among the three of us, certainly Andrew seems like the one who has more, more of a kind of grounding in like what actually the study of philosophy is. Really? And, I feel quite deficient in that department. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, maybe that's the sign that you are good at it, is that you feel deficient in it. (laughs) You know, there's two things I would say is that philosophy means the love of wisdom. Mm, And uh, the other is that the role of the philosopher is to prepare to die. (laughs) But I mean, I guess what I think of as philosophy is like, the absolutely precise use of language. I mean, maybe this is whatever old fashioned view of, or not old fashioned enough view of uh, philosophy, but that's kind of, you know, the rigorous use of the mind. Yeah. Like, all right, let's say we're gonna die. And, uh, you know, that's a serious problem in a way. Then, well, how do you think about that? What do you think about dying you know how do you think about that in a way that's helpful maybe or you could even say in a way that spreads love you know i'm i'm not a, i'm not against the idea since i proposed the idea that a podcast should should be about some kind of you know ecstatic love but i feel like it's the role of the mind to kind of direct you towards that yeah. i'm down with that totally i one thing that occurred to me arising out of your rap, Sparrow, is hmm. a big mea culpa. Is that <laughs> I realized that, you know, when we were surging around these different um, moments in history and sort of citing different facts, you know, I, hmm. I have in the past transmitted a certain amount of misinformation. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, sometimes a little, yeah, like I'm not being rigorous in terms of the information. Also, hmm. in and also sometimes in forms of speech, you know, not being precise. Yeah. Mm. And part of that is that we all know that this is being recorded. I don't feel it partic- in a pronounced way, but there can be a subtle, oh. uh, not self-consciousness, but yeah. an awareness of one is speaking beyond oneself into, into another dimension. Right that lies between, you know, these two ears. It's a little bit like giving a sermon, kind of. 
you know, giving a podcast. I, I mean, it's it's an element that nobody thinks about, I think, because the religious uh, dimension of life is so uh, separate from the world that most people live in, certainly that the most podcast listeners listen to. But I think there is some element of sermon to it. It just feels like, you know, you're standing on a platform addressing the parishioners, <laughs> giving them some inspiring bromide. <laughs> I think that's one way of, yes, uh, I think there of is feeling it. No, I think um, that, yeah, that has a theological sort of resonance and there is something spiritual, spiritual, some spiritual questing about it. Well, I'm, I'm talking about like any podcast, like even, you sure. know, the ones that are about grisly murders. I think there's some kind of, you know, theme submerged in there, yeah. some kind of message that you're giving, like, don't kill your parents, you know. <laughs> or or, or choo choosing love over hate, forgiveness. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, and and maybe a sense of compassion. You know, I I mean, I know that there was one very famous po series of podcasts about some guy who is in Ohio and he was framed on a murder, but maybe he wasn't framed, and it went on and on for years. I don't know, but I don't know what it's called, but it's famous. Cereal. Cereal. That's it. Yeah. Part of it is is about compassion, I think, right? You you get I, I to tried, know this guy. I tried to uh, listen to it, and I actually couldn't. Uh, the 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 hook didn't sink for me. I like listening to podcasts. Uh, there are a number that I favor, um, oh, yeah. and most of them have to do with something within this medium of conversation between people. Um, sometimes interview, but the interview sometimes can be a stilted form. Mm. I also like to listen to some podcasts that have a kind of stylized reporting, mm. you know, a certain amount of interview and people talking, but also the intercession of sort of different sounds and a kind of collage aspect. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Know. But that's well, some mean, engineering stuff and a big hassle, you know. Then that's just it's another medium. It's a possibility for sure. Particularly in terms of trying to communicate something like you experienced in your radio show, which was a sermon. And Andrew <laughs> also is interested in sermons. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Um, and I think that but my idea would be more to find certain pieces of constructed sound, geo, uh -huh. you know, in, in geometrical forms and da-da-da-da-da, that potentially yeah. could allow a person listening to go into a hypnagogic state. That's what a hypnagogic state, that's what John Cage, that's, that was his definition of experimental music was the arrangement of sound, and especially sound that, that wasn't um, traditional 18th, mm. 19th century instrumentation, but the sound of the human voice, the sound of the external world, the street, um, the sonicscape, that arranging it into a pattern, a geometry, was um, his definition of music. It's funny because I was thinking today, uh, you know, what I don't like about podcasts. And I was in the subway at um, South Ferry, coming out of the subway, thinking about podcasts. And this two people were talking behind me in Spanish. And I was thinking... 
this is what I like. I like overhearing conversations, little snatches of conversations. I don't like that kind of linear quality of a podcast that kind of leads you from one point to another. I would like a podcast that was just a a person walking around and just snooping in on little conversations and sounds all, all day. And and so that it wasn't so um, formatted, you know, so it was, there had sort of an element of chaos. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that that's a, that's a great idea. And mm. you sh- we should do that too. Sparrow, one of the most incredible intellectual experiences I've ever had, mm. listening to language, was actually with Sam. It was one time that um, Sam Truett, Sam and I were teaching at Bard in the language oh. thinking program, and we brought m- our mutual friend, a physicist, Paul Sigismondi, to campus. Mm. Paul was preparing a lecture on the multiverse to give to our sections the following day. And he was mm. playing a YouTube clip in my room of um, a physicist explaining multiplicity in the concurrence of times um, using a string theory, quantum mechanics, all of that. And I fell asleep. <laughs> and Sam and um, Paul left. And mm. then that YouTube clip um, just followed a stream of random, randomly selected other clips of lectures and conversations, and I experienced it all as one monolithic sermon. Um, <laughs> ah. It formed a geometry that really blew my mind in a way that I'm having a hard time assigning words to. But it, it very much. You mean that you absorbed the lecture in a new construction in inner in um, collaboration with your mind through osmosis. Yes, but then the YouTube channel kept switching to different lectures and different topics based upon right. YouTube Q, Q. So all of that sort of joined. Like you were looking into the face of the algorithm. <laughs> I know. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. It, it the all, algorithm was really speaking to you. It all, yeah, it all worked somehow. It, it formed a... A complex geometry that that just had its own weird logic and um, multi multi dimensionality. It was just an incredible experience. And you were asleep the whole time. Yeah, I was like in that hypnagogic that I see, yeah. uh-huh. dipping in and out of dreams, you know. And and this high level physics is kind of washing over you, kind of like a yeah. song. But then. <laughs> Then sort of juxtaposed with Rodney Dangerfield interviews. and Is that um, when you hit the Rodney Dangerfield? Yeah, that's when I hit the Rodney Dangerfield interviewed. And it, but it all, worked, it all worked together magically. <laughs> you went wow. into the Rodney Dangerfield zone, which happens. This might be like a, near the core of uh, YouTube is the Rodney Dangerfield, you know, force field. <laughs> Or anyway, you and I both encountered it. I don't know. Maybe closer awesome. to the center are like uh, K-pop bands uh, yeah. dancing. But also, <laughs> on the, but also on the other side of the quantum mechanical air is Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You take that quantum leap. Yeah, I was just yeah. thinking about this movie. There's like one of my favorite movies of the last 40 years is called Ant-Man and the Wasp. What and, is it? Uh, 
you know, it's a Marvel comic movie. Ant-Man, he's a sort of very minor league superhero. And his wife is the Wasp. And she is Michelle Pfeiffer. She's the, like, 61-year-old Michelle Pfeiffer. And uh, she's been stuck in the quantum world for, like, 25 years because they have this shrinking ray. They're Ant-Man and the Wasp. That means they can get very tiny or very large. And somehow some villain or something turned the shrinking ray on her, and she went down to the subatomic, sub-sub-subatomic level where she's in the quantum world, which looks kind of like this kind of swamp, otherworldly swamp with like stringy crap, gooey, stringy stuff all over. And she spends 25 years that she can't get out. And then she comes back like towards the end of the movie, she gets out of the quantum zone and she's completely enlightened. She's just like, oh. like a god. It sounds like she was uh, in the bog, in Thoreau's bog. Oh, yeah. The subatomic, sub-molecular bog. Yeah. (laughs) So the the one thing I picked up, though, Sparrow, from you in terms of our podcast is a more precision in language. Mm. I think also staying on topic, you know, staying like rigorously like we're looking at one thing. Like uh, Kierkegaard says, you know, purity of thought is to will one thing. Wow. That's and then the other, thought. yeah, and then the other is this whole idea of a communion and of, a, and of allowing ourselves, I would really like to see things evolved to the point where we could introduce a piece of, of sound and, you know, actually construct the sermon. Or maybe like each of us walks around for like uh, whatever a third of 50 minutes is, if there is such a number, and uh, 17 minutes each. And uh, we each uh, record just random sounds and then we put the three of them together. You know, I think that is a definitely we should do that. I think it's possible to uh, get mic'd up and do that. And then the other thing is I, I think we should do three podcasts or, you know, dedicated to each of us <laughs> i think oh, that, yeah. that would be that would prove a very um interesting opportunity i think for information yeah but also for increasing that sense of communion mm. so that we then have a sense of each other's stories a little bit more concretely yeah, and also and also it's more like therapy too like you know we could like advance as people because we get to like think about ourselves for 50 minutes, which is this length of a typical psychoanalytic session. In and fact, we should be fairly rigorous about that. Yeah, really, like, yeah, really like those, yeah. slice into each other the depths of our inner pain. <laughs> then have like yeah. a transformation. Like by the end, we're like weeping, you know. I love you guys, you know. You're the only ones who understand me. You know, like, it really gets into a kind of like a male, you know, therapy thing. <laughs> yeah, which is desperately needed in an age when masculine virtue has been outlawed. Yeah. <laughs> this could be the, uh, the trunk of the tree around which we grasp hands. <laughs> I want to say something, and that's I think this is our most successful podcast. Really? Yeah. Maybe all our podcasts should just be about podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I find something oddly freeing about it. 
um, maybe it's because I didn't prepare. I didn't feel the tyranny of. Oh, I see. Yeah. Although um, that can cut both ways. Well, I think you know we're we're learning better and better how to kind of play off of each other, and to need less preparation. I li- I like the fact that other than the William Blake podcast. There has never been a week when I felt I know a lot about the topic. Good. Even the Dylan, um, I didn't know a lot about the song, Senor Tells. Oh, yeah, that was a bizarre one. That's sort of a B-sider, but who knows? That was a good idea, though. There were some moments. I also think it could be tricked out because we, you know, I just need to uh, record Senor, and that can be added to the end of the podcast so that people can listen to the song. I did want to talk to you about one other thing, and that is I I had written down on a piece of paper these three circles that intersect. Mm. Uh, It's sort of like a three-part Vim diagram. So there's a little portion that intersects, which seems to be our voices, where our voices converge. And then under it, it says 3D. Mm. And I believe I, I kind of understand that the ultimate incarnation of the podcast is one in which we're each projected in three-dimensional um, configuration together mm. inside of a inside of a field that's the actual pod and mm. while we're speaking there's also a visual field that radiates around us mm. that is projections of different thoughts and images and strands mm. of material mm. from our minds that are echoing at the edges of everything that we're saying. Mm, mm. And that there'll be this sense mm. of real communion between, say, in this case, this sort of tripartite structure and the intermingling of our deepest thoughts and mm, feel mm. and you know and essence. There will be three translucent balls of light. <laughs> Yeah, and and I was thinking, I was going to say before that it seems to me we live in a completely uh, visual culture. Like I went to the library in Phoenicia the other day. I don't know if I told you this. And I was going to take out Sense and Sensibility by uh, Jane Austen. And the, the librarian said to me, oh, yeah, I love that movie. Like everything has become completely visual yeah. And and yet here comes the uh, remedy, which is the podcast. You know, Take people a, are like returning to that pre-visual world where you just experience images in an abstract form. You're seeing while, things <laughs> in, like you like you were saying. You know, while you're on the exercise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. First, you like the hamster wheel. Limit yourself to the point that you're really bored, and then you pour in this uh, syrup into your ears, like which is us. Well, there's no such thing as boredom anymore. Boredom no longer exists in most people's lives. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Yeah, all the cracks are sealed up with. Radio, podcasts, videos, an infinite stream of movies and television, you know, things that you can access at a low cost, you know. That's people's lives now, in large measure, I believe. 
So podcasts, at least, um, you know, they're ambulatory. In yeah, a I went. Way. So. I went to the uh, Museum of the American Indian today, and I became sort of friends with this security guard. I mean, she just said hello to me when I walked in, and then I asked her for a water fountain, and then she let me go through the secret door <laughs> to get to the water fountain, and then later I tried to get back in through that secret door, but it was locked, and then I told her about it. You know, we had this whole little relationship. Then she knocked off of work and said goodbye to me, <laughs> wished me a good night, and I wished her the same, you know. And I was kind of fascinated by how bored she was. She just stands in this room for hours and hours a day. You know, there's still little, um, she's not allowed to look at her phone apparently. And there are little, what's the word, oases of boredom in the uh, modern world. You know, a lot yeah. of times I think working class people get to be bored. You know, I think maybe middle class and upper middle, maybe upper middle class people never bored. Yeah. Middle class people rarely <laughs> bored. Working class people bored. You know, they still have to be bored. They still have to sit in that bulldozer and in the hot sun for hours. My, my colleague and good friend Mark Desiderio was a um, security guard at the uh. Metropolitan Museum of Art when he was um, concurrently teaching maybe creative writing or English at, um, mm. at oh. college. He had a funny story that uh, he would teach a class, he said, and then run to the Met, change, oh. change the bathroom, um, you know, go to his uh, assigned rooms for the day. And then oh. students from his class sometimes mm. would wander in and they never once recognized him. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah. Tragic then, story fascinating as the same person might be a good um plot device for the um next thriller movie that's the way that you eavesdrop on someone or do the drug drop or something you know the no one suspects no one even sees it. people are invisible the security guards they could be plotting the demise of civilization no one would ever <laughs> suspect them <laughs> but I think that Met uh, guard job, that's a union job. Yeah, I think they're pretty good jobs. Well, this woman, you know, I was thinking about this. She's working for the Smithsonian Institute. She's working for the federal government. I mean, she's probably got like one of the best jobs you can get. You know, great pension, medical, dental, right? All that yeah. stuff. Many thanks for joining us on this edition of Baffling Combustions and our ongoing investigation of the uncanny and wondrous. And please join us next time, and remember to stay tuned and strange.